0: Okay, friends, and the story begins. We are on the bottom of page 17. We're starting a new section of the preliminary prayers of the sitter. On the bottom of the page, you'll see it says korbanot, korbanos, offerings. There is a longstanding tradition to recite the biblical and Mishnahic passages of the offerings, of the sacrifices that would take place daily. The, the reason for this, um, historically, let's take a step back. Prior to the destruction of the verse, or, or hold on, fold to step back. The biblical commandment of prayer, right? It, in the Torah, there's no standardized text of prayer. The mitzvah is talk to God from your heart. Ask him for what you need. Praise him. And this is what Jews have been doing. Um, since the, the, the uh, you know the King David is all about his prayers to God, the Book of Tehillim. This is what Jews have been doing. It was only until the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash, the, the destruction of the first Temple, we have no more korbanot, we have no more sacrifices, we have no more offerings. So the sages established a standardized text of prayer, and that prayer will serve instead. Of official sacrifices, it, it it almost functions as sacrifices. Essentially, that's what prayer does. This was established by Ezra in his court. Ezra is the sage who brought Jews back from Babylon after the exile to build the second temple. Where was I going with this? <laughs> One of those moments. <laughs> okay, so why do we recite? the korbanot, the passages of offerings, of sacrifices as a preliminary to prayer because prayer is essentially replacing the sacrifices. We want to remember what prayer is actually replacing, what prayer is actually re- uh, resembling or symbolizing. The sacrifices. The Hebrew word for sacrifice, korbanot, or in singular, that's plural, singular, korban. Anybody knows uh, what what the word literally means? What the word korban literally means? Again, translations are dangerous. We translate it as sacrifice or offering. Oh, I don't know. That's what I always thought it was. it, it is, but but if you translate if you translate the root word literally, it comes from the Hebrew word karov, which means close. An, a sacrifice or an offering means coming close to God. In biblical times, it was a with a gift. an animal it was through the representatives of the jewish people the kohanim but now it's with prayer but in order to remember what the original sacrifice the original coming close was it was with uh, we, we actually read about it every day in the prayers our sages said that being that we have no more sacrifices study about the sacrifices and that will be considered as if we brought those sacrifices When we read about them, when we study about them, which is essentially what we're about to do, and we're going to study the deeper paradigm and meaning and see how it uh, impacts us on a very personal level. But when we study this, it's as if we've offered this sacrifice. When you read about the Ola, the burnt offering, you've brought an burnt offering to God. When you read about the Tamid, or you read about the various different offerings, the incense, it's as if we've actually done that. On a deeper level, deeper dimension of Torah, the concept of bringing a sacrifice has deep personal, psychological, emotional, spiritual significance. We know from Tanya, our Tanya studies, that we have two souls, two drives. Souls, is your drive. We have our divine drive. What dry, our divine soul, what drives us to do what God wants, what drives us for meaning and purpose. We have our animal soul, which is basically our drive toward our self, our self-oriented self. And bringing a korban, bringing a sacrifice from an animal is essentially taking our animal soul and saying, animal soul, you're going to get close to God. How? We're going to put you on the altar bring you to the synagogue or wherever you're praying, and we're going to light you on fire. We're going to make you passionate about God. That's the fire of the divine soul. The fire of the divine soul should become contagious to the animal soul. Essentially, the inspiration of prayer should be personally, emotionally, psychologically relevant, and not just spiritually inspirational, but it should should mean something on a very personal and deep level. If we could take our prayers and make it not only inspirational or insightful, but emotionally relevant, it impacts the, my, my, the way I behave, it influences or shapes my attitude in life, it in, it shapes my values, right? It's essentially shaping my animal soul into a mensch. That's a korban, that's a sacrifice. But in order to get that frame of mind, it starts with actually reading about the sacrifices and In our case, understanding the deeper paradigm of them. Make sense? We're with me? We're on the boat. We're in the ark. Okay. There were many or there were various offerings, sacrifices that were brought in the temple on a daily basis. Some were not brought on a daily basis. Some were brought only on Shabbos. Some were brought only on certain holidays, depending on the type of sacrifice. But yet, certain sacrifices that were day in, day out, consistent. The first of which, the very first, it's not really a sacrifice, but a a, um, sacrificial service, if you will, which we're about to read on the bottom of 17, was the cleaning of the ashes on the altar. And that's what we're about to read. The cleaning of the ashes was the very first service performed. They made a big, it was like a big deal, a big honor to take out the garbage. Which is such a beautiful um, perspective. The, the way it used to work. Well Let's read the paragraph inside in the English real quickly. And then I'll, I'll give you some background here. Bottom of page 17. We'll read the entire paragraph. It's not that long. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall remain on the firewood on the altar all night until morning and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. The Kohen shall put on his linen raiment garment, or I don't know what these words are, but linen linen breeches on his body, his pants and his shirt, for those who speak English. (laughs) Um, He shall remove the ashes, which the fire has made by consuming the burnt offering of the altar, and place them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes to a clean place outside the camp. The fire and the altar should be kept burning. It must not go out. And the Cohen shall burn wood on it every morning and arrange the burnt offering upon it and burn the fat of the peace offering on it. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. This is an excerpt cut and paste from the book of Leviticus telling us the process by which the Cohen would clear the ashes from the altar. And this was a big service. The Talmud in tractate Tamid, there is, you can see behind me, about 30 tractates of Talmud. See that? For those listening and not watching the video, you don't know what to am about here, but right, hold on. I can't, I can't, hold on. There we go, John, you see it? There we go, that's the Talmud. Okay, the shortest tractate in the Talmud is called tractate Tamid tractate tamid is about eight pages Um, a tractate can range from eight pages to a hundred and double-sided a hundred and something pages so the shortest tractate is tractate tamid and talks about the uh, some of the services and structure of the Beit HaMikdash of the Temple and it says that they used to have a race every morning the Kohen would all the Kohens that were serving in the Temple would race in the morning would get up and rush to the altar and whoever got there first had the honor of um taking out the ashes you get to take out the garbage (laughs) right when you get to shul you get to clean up the shul you get to mow the lawn (laughs) you get to take out the garbage and make sure that this place is functional it's considered to be a big honor people would rush to this there was a technical difficulty. One time, a Cohen, the altar was very high up. It was, I forgot the measurements already, but the Talmud over there discusses it. The altar was pretty high up. A Cohen fell down one time and injured himself because of the race he was running up. So they changed the system to a raffle. But either way, it was a desired and sought after after position. Um, go back real quickly to page six, hold the place on page 17, but real quickly turn to page six. Do you remember? We have a series of 15 blessings, blessings of appreciation. We appreciate uh, various things, our, our vision, um, our ability to walk straight, clothing, all these various different things. The first of which, blessed are you, Lord King, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives the rooster understanding to distinguish between day and night or gives the heart understanding to this doing between day and night. This blessing was traditionally uh, coined by these group of kohanim who woke up in the morning to take out the ashes. The very first thing was they would recite that blessing. Thank you for waking me up on time so I can have a chance at being part of this service. Mm-hmm. Such an important service, taking out the garbage. Let's take this piece by piece. And what we're going to discover is that there is always more to the text than what meets the eye. There's a deeper soul paradigm here. And it's very, we'll see how relevant it is, how relevant we can make it. Let's start with the first piece. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his sons, write all of the Kohanim. This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall remain on the firewood on the altar all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. So there's a mitzvah to burn this offering all the way. There's a deeper interpretation here. Go back to the bottom of 17. This is the law of the burnt offering, the Hebrew word for law used in this context. Again, translations. Uh, you, you can never rely on translations because there's more than one meaning. Torah. This is the Torah of the burnt offering. If you translate it literally, this is the Torah that goes up on the altar. It's the Torah that creates a burnt offering, a passion, a fire. And that fire has to last us all night. When we're at night, when we're dark, when we're in a difficult place, when we're not passionate about our relationship with God, what's the solution? Study about this relationship. Study God's values. Study the Torah. It's the Torah that's going to create a burnt offering. The Torah that's going to create a passion. And that passion has to last us throughout the entire night. It has to go on the altar. The altar is our hearts. Just like human beings were created from Adam. Adam was formed from the earth. The altar also came from earth. It's connected to the earth. And that earth which seems inanimate, sometimes we seem inanimate, we seem dull, we see. We seem spiritually blah, for back of, lack of better words. We need fire. And the fire is through the law, through studying the Torah. Okay. But what happens is, you have all these, go to page 18, you have all these ashes, burnt ashes. So what does the Kohen do before putting on the burnt, before removing the ashes? Right, the Cohen in days of old, would race to take out the ashes. Eventually, there was a raffle. But the Cohen who had the opportunity, who was lucky enough to be able to take out the garbage in the temple, the ashes on the altar, what would he do? What's the first thing he would do? Put on his clothing. Fascinating. Usually, you would not put on fresh clothing so you could take garbage out. <laughs> You would change your clothing after taking out the garbage, right? I'm gonna take out the garbage. Let me go shower. <laughs> We're doing it backwards. You don't wash your hands before going to the bathroom. You go. I have to. Why would he put on fresh clothing to take out the garbage? In other words, why was taking out the garbage such a big deal? Taking out the ashes is such a big deal. There's several biblical commentaries several different perspectives that I'd like to share. One of my favorite biblical commentaries known as Rabbeinah Bahaya. Rabina Bahaya is from the 12th or 13th century from Spain. Fascinating biblical commentary because he, in his commentary, weaves together uh, Kabbalah and philosophy and literal explanation and just weaves it all together. And it's, he does a good job. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun to learn. What he explains is there's a lesson here. If going out to take the garbage requires something so simple, requires the Kohen taking it seriously, this is sacred. How much more so when it comes to any mitzvah? Take it seriously. <laughs> we take Taking out the garbage is something we take seriously because you're cleaning out God's house. For sure, doing any mitzvah, take it seriously. It's not just a joke. Prepare, put on the right clothing, get in the mode, make it special. Shabbos is coming, make it special. You're gonna pray in the morning, make it special. Whatever it is, make it special, be present. Because even putting on, even taking out the garbage, the ashes, the cohen puts on special clothing. That's one perspective. There's another perspective from another commentary, one of my favorites, again, one of my favorites. The Kliakar. Rabbi Ishaia Horowitz of the 15th century. Here's what he explains. What do ashes represent? So He says, well, we have to look back in biblical history. Abraham referred to himself as being humble. He said, I am dust and ashes. you remember that? He says, I am but dust and ashes. Trying to show that he was humble. So what does the Kohen do? puts on special garments, lifts up the ashes. We accentuate. That's the right word. We extend, is that the right word? We accentuate humility. Accentuate. What's the word? Accentuate. Accentuate. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. You got to cut that out of the recording because now I sound like, (laughs) we accentuate humility. The Hebrew word, Again, um, translations are, are a little bit hard to work with. In, Hebrew, in in English, page 18, third line, he shall remove the ashes. In Hebrew, second line, second word, where it says veharim. So contextually, it means veharim, to remove et hadesha and the ashes. Contextually, that is an accurate translation. But if we're being quite literal, the word harim means to lift up. Lift up the ashes. The Kohen is there to accentuate ashes, to accentuate humility. And this is a position that people ran toward. To accentuate, to lift up humility, to show that value. That's the very first thing we do in the morning. The very first service performed before any of the sacrifices. Clear the ashes, lift them up, accentuate what represents Humility. Here's a third perspective. The Rebbe has an insight on this too. You know what ashes represent? The epitome of physicality. Jewish philosophy, Kabbalah, as well as Maimonides, in the beginning of Maimonides compendium, talks about how everything everything has a spiritual makeup to it. Um, it, it, the truth is not in spiritual but physical. There's a molecular makeup to everything, right? When you look at a table, we see table. But what will science tell us? This is billions and billions of molecules, atoms. And it's true. There's a molecular, there's some sort of makeup beyond what meets the eye. And traditional Jewish scientific teachings and philosophy teaches us that the essence of everything is some sort of balance between fire, air, Water and earth, and depending on the uh, the item, that will depend on the balance. The balance will depend on the item, right? So, something. Trying to think of an example. Something like wood will be more earth oriented. Because of its inanimacy and its, and its uh, physicality. But still has some sort of life to it. Has water to it. Has some sort of heat potential for heat. So it has fire to it. has some right. Everything has some sort of balance of these four elements. But what happens when you burn wood? It turns into ash because the fire has left. You sucked out the water. Any air that's in it is gone. What's left is the pure earth is the pure physicality. So ashes represent the epitome of physicality. What is our relationship to the physical world? The difference between Judaism and spiritualism. Why do mitzvahs? Why can't I just be spiritual? Right? Let, let me reframe the question. In a couple of parshas from now. We're gonna be read about we're gonna be read about the rebellious spies. You're familiar with the whole spy saga. The Jewish people are journeying through the desert on their way to Israel. They send spy, Moses sends 12 spies, check out the land. They come back, give a negative report. We're not going to Israel. It's going to swallow its inhabitants. Can't do it. Any- can't do it. Two of the spies behaved themselves. Said, "No, no, we're going to do it." It created a whole tumult in the Jewish community. Uh, eventually, everybody repented. True degree, <laughs> we were forgiven on Yom Kippur, and uh, but as a uh, as a in order to rectify that, we had to wander the desert for forty years. And the question that's often asked is, these spies were righteous people. What were they thinking? Why were they slandering the land? Where was their trust in God? And the way that that it's explained is, let's understand where these spies were coming from. The Jewish people are in the desert. They're surrounded by the clouds of glory. They're surrounded by the well of Miriam. They're in the spiritual oasis in the desert. This was a pretty good desert. This is like a Hilton of the. Desert. They were comfortable. All their needs were taken care of. They didn't have to work. They were just studying Torah. They were basking in spirituality. They said, "Wait a minute. We're going to come to Israel. What's going to happen? We're going to have to work for a living. We don't want to work for a living. <laughs> we want to be spiritual. We don't want to start farming and planting and. You know, sometimes I feel like that. You know, we because we run a summer camp. And running a summer camp means doing a lot of technical things that I wouldn't have thought I would have to do as a rabbi. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be a marketer on Facebook and making flyers on Canva and booking flights and trips and buses and scheduling. And like, this is not what they told me rabbinics was like in yeshiva. (laughs) So why am I doing all this technical stuff? Because I have to have an impact. I can't just sit in my own cocoon and study Torah. I have to have an impact on Jewish lives and bring Judaism to the youth. The spies said, we're going to go to Israel, work the land, have a physical impact. We want to be spiritual. We're not going to Israel. Let's land of the land. They preferred spiritual comfort over their life mission. We're supposed to work and impact the world in a very positive way. When we go to work and we're honest in business, we're bringing God to the business world. When we make a blessing on food, when we plant and tithe, we're bringing, we have an opportunity through the physical world to bring God everywhere. What is our relationship with physicality? We're not supposed to run away from the physical world. Sometimes we are. On Shabbos, we run away from the physical world. Right, Six days you shall work, seven days uh, the seventh day you shall rest. But for the most part, We need to influence the physical world. We need to make God relevant to the physical world. Go back to the the sacrifices. The very first service is you go take the ashes, the epitome of physicality. And what do we do to them? The Hebrew word for removing the ashes, veherim, literally means to uplift them, accentuate the physicality, elevate the physicality our job is to elevate physicality that is what it's all about i'll tell you a great story two great stories i've told you these stories in the past it's been over a year so i get to say it again that that's the rule there's something like that with with a a song you could say you could repeat music you could listen on repeat as many times as you need to a story you get one year a joke you get you get uh what is it? Something like five years. You can't use the same joke twice. No? This is the rule for rabbis. Otherwise, you say the same joke once in five years, everybody remembers. The meat of the sermon, you could say right again, right away, the next week. Nobody will know. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm just teasing. So here's the story. There was a rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel B'tzalel. He was the teacher of the previous Lubavitcher Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. He was having a little febring and a little chassid gathering where they're talking about the meaning, the purpose of life, why they're created. All the concepts that we learn about in an academic setting, they were talking about it heart to heart to try to internalize it. This for was going on for a very long time. They were getting hungry. So he took a, this is a little bit of a bizarre story, but you'll see where I'm getting with this. They took a goat that they had they slaughtered it somebody there was a ritual slaughter apparently and they prepared it to be eaten and they continue the for and they continue talking about god about their purpose the meaning in life the next morning Reb shmuel his wife comes and says where's the goat <laughs> where's our goat. we were kind of uh we needed that is it gone he says nope where is it it's still here she says i don't see it he says it's here before the goat used to go Me-e-e-e-e. now the goat says Hashem echad, god is one it's here it's just in a different capacity <laughs> The relationship to the physical world is take something that seems like it's just a mere animal and let it proclaim God is one. Story number two. There was a rabbi. I don't know if he was a rabbi, whatever, a chassid who was very passionate about his davening. He was very careful not to eat before davening. Let me before taking care of my physical needs, let me pray to God. He fell ill. He fainted in shul. So a friend walks him home. And his wife says, why did somebody walk you home? He doesn't want to tell her that he fainted. Nothing, I'm good, nothing. She says, tell me what's going on. The friend says he fainted in shul. So immediately like she pushes him to go to the doctor. He's hesitant, but he goes... Doctor tells him, first thing in the morning, you got to eat bagels. He's very hesitant. This was out of his comfort zone. I'm going to start eating bagels and uh, lavish breakfast before I pray to God. He's very hesitant. So he goes to ask his rabbi, Rabbi Shalom Dauber Lubavitch, and his rabbi says, what is so wrong if your bagels are joining you to Davin? What is our relationship to the physical world? We take the ashes, the epitome of physicality. The We don't remove them, we uplift them. However, take a look. Let's take a look on the, uh... let's keep reading. Let's keep reading inside. You with me? Um, One, two, three, four, five lines from the top of page 18. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes to a clean place outside the camp. First, he lifts the ashes. Then he carries them out. And there's a deeper lesson here. Sometimes physicality needs to be elevated. Sometimes physicality needs to be carried out. Dispensed. There's times where we need to engage with the physical world and elevate it, and there's times where we need to say, just remove it. There's certain we know this from Tanya that there's certain things that can be elevated, and there's certain things that cannot be elevated. A kosher meal can be elevated if used for the right purpose, used for Shabbos, you made a blessing with something that's not kosher can't be elevated. You gotta take it. Remove it, bring it out. Take the physicality out. There's times where physicality is engaged with to be elevated There's times where it is actually ignored. And we go back into our spiritual cocoon and say, God, you're going to elevate this one. Or I'll elevate it by taking it out, by not dealing with it. We conclude this paragraph by saying that the fire must remain on the altar the whole time. Consistently, constantly, continually. It can't go out. If we want to actually elevate physicality or have the courage to know when we can elevate it and when we need to take it out, what do we need? Fire. Passion. And that's through the Torah, and that's actually through the process of prayer, the journey of prayer that we're going through. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.